Hey, Brian Beeler here, and uh, thanks for joining the podcast. We've got a great guest today with AWS. We're going to talk all things uh, snow and, and wherever else we go with this thing. But uh, data transport is a big problem or issue or challenge, right, as, as, as these workloads go to the cloud. And, and how companies get their data from point A to point B is, is one of those things that snow helps resolve. And snow just went to space. So we've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. Uh, uh, Wayne, thanks for coming in and doing this with us. Brian, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So set it up for, uh, for the audience that, that doesn't know you. What, what is your role at AWS? And I think based on your bio, you've been there almost since the jump. If that's uh, accurate, let me know. I have, uh, so I've, I, I, I've been with AWS for Amazon for almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years in September. So I'm coming up on my, what we call red anniversary. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, within, the, within the company, my responsibility as uh, one of the vice presidents at AWS, uh, I'm responsible for a suite of our storage products, our edge compute and edge storage products, and our data protection and data movement services. And so the snow devices fit you know, squarely in that data movement. Well, interesting. Well, let's, let's talk about that, Brian, because, you know, that is a true story. The truth is, is that uh, as part of our entire edge continuum, uh, and, and part of that, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, is uh, taking a snow cone to space, uh, which extends, you know, the edge of the cloud you know, to the furthest reaches so far. Um, the snow product is part of our data um, movement uh, capabilities, but more so today, it is part of our edge compute, edge storage and edge networking capabilities. Interesting. So I want to tear into that. Before we do that, let's take one uh, step backwards and kind of reset why these devices exist, where they came into play. I think the first time I saw one in practical use was Oh gosh, several years ago, it was um, uh, some HPC guys were doing a research project with drones out in the field, and then they wanted to get that data uh, back to the cloud for to run their analysis or whatever they're doing. Uh, but they were creating not massive amounts, but tr pretty good amounts of a couple terabytes still out at the edge, and and it would take too long, too onerous to get all that data back up to their instances. So they had the USB hard drive, which I think was the first product, and, and copying the data over, shipping it with its uh, e-ink FedEx label or whatever, and then you know you have you guys ingest it. But uh, maybe just reset for us how this started and, and what the problems were you were trying to solve. Yeah, so uh, it, it's, there is, a, there is a, uh, a journey story, if you would, for, for this service. And, and you know what we did last month uh, by putting a snow cone in space is, is more at the, at the current end of uh, that journey story as we continue. But when we first started, um, there's an old adage, you know, the, the fastest network is a station wagon full of disk drives. And you so, forgot the gray beards that go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have them. So, uh, so the truth of the matter, truth of the matter is, is that in, in the earlier days, uh, we'll, We'll go back roughly, you know, 2014, 2015 or so. Uh, customers were uh, quickly um, beginning to move uh, their data uh, to AWS, to, to S3 and to Glacier specifically. And the networks that they had supporting their, you know, the volume of data they needed to move simply were not there. Uh, you know, if folks had a, 
you know, a 10 gig or a hundred meg uh, connection to the, to the internet. That was, that was pretty healthy. And though that worked for, you know, several gigabytes of data, maybe even, maybe even hundreds of gigabytes of data, it didn't work for terabytes and petabytes. And as we see now, um, believe it or not, zettabytes, I mean, uh, exabytes of information, zettabytes are coming soon, uh, exabytes of information that people needed to move up to the cloud. So we created uh, our service uh, called uh, Snowball, which we refer to today as the Snow Family of Products. Uh, and it was, for all intent and purpose, as you said, it was uh, a, a very rugged uh, and deployable um, storage uh, device that customers could order off our website. Uh, it has an e-ink label on it, which um, gets assigned their uh, mailing address as they provision the device on our console. And that device arrives at their, at their facility, at their data center. Um, it's ethernet based, they plug it in, uh, they run uh, data movement, uh, if you would process or, or program, and that would move their data from whatever it was on at the time, could have been a file or an object store. Um, today it can be tape, um, virtual or physical. And when they were done filling it up, they would send it back to us and then we would take it and ingest that into their, for instance, S3 bucket. And now their data is there. Now, that was the beginning. Um, and as we evolved, customers would tell us, hey, you know, I'm moving all this data onto your device, um, but we'd like to do a little processing on that data before we send it up. We'd like to run some analysis or some algorithm uh, to either ascertain some information, do some analytics, or potentially to filter some of the data that we don't want to go up into the cloud uh, for whatever reason. So we extended uh, the capability of this storage device into being a storage and compute device. And as we, as, as customers started to use those capabilities, it's uh, like the old story of if you give a mouse a cookie, they want a glass of milk. Uh, customers came, came back and said, we'd like to do more. We'd like this model, this works. Um, so here we are in, in 2022 and we've really moved the service from being a data transfer service uh, into being a service which customers can use to collect data uh, wherever they happen to be. Um, in, this, in, in the most recent case, you know, on, uh, on the space station uh, to process that data. Um, and processing could mean a, a bunch of different things. In the case of what we did recently, it was running uh, machine learning. Uh, if you would, we're running uh, uh, visualization analytics uh, on the device. And as uh, pictures were being taken, uh, those pictures were being classified, um, they were being analyzed, and the analysis was then what could be uh, transferred back to, uh, to Earth, uh, back to uh, Mission, Mission Central, uh, in order for them to take a look at that data and say, you know, interesting, let's keep doing more, let's do something different. So, the ability so is, to collect... that, is that is that happening on your device? Because the the Genesis story of a of a hard drive with an Ethernet port on it, making it sort of nasty to collect data and then ship it off, is a lot different than you know having uh, enough compute, maybe GPU or whatever, on on a system to be able to run that's inference, inferencing like what you're talking about, right? That's exactly correct. So we we have we're on you know we're on generation three, if you would, of our Snowball Edge device, and we're on generation two of our Snowcone device. 
And for each of those generations, like with many devices, uh, based on what customers want to run, we've increased the storage capacity, the networking capability, the compute capacity, and in the case of Snowball Edge, customers do have the ability to uh, order the device uh, using uh, GPU capability. So it is a full-fledged, you know, if you can, you can look at it in many ways as a, as a full-fledged set of uh, EC2 instances, some of them with GPU capability, uh, running in what we refer to as a denied, disconnected, uh, limited, uh, or, or intermittent environment. Uh, when it comes Interesting. To so, I mean, does it, <laughs> it must be though that once customers get this thing, especially with some of the advanced uh, capabilities like GPU and start using it, they're like, huh, this thing's kind of nifty. Maybe we should use it more or maybe it should hang out longer. Are you seeing cycle times of when these go out to customers versus when you get them back in? Is that changed at all over time? It has, it has dramatically actually. So if you think about a data migration, uh, uh, you know, um, order from, from years ago, you know, the, the device would be ordered to be delivered um, within say, you know, a week, two weeks, maybe a month, the device would come back. And, and, and that, was, that would work really well for customers. Uh, when, when customers started using the device for collecting, analyzing, and making decisions uh, in real time in the field with these devices, you know, we start to see those timelines extend uh, quite a bit. Um, it's not unusual that a month is a very short job, uh, that, th that three months is a average job. And in some cases where these devices are used uh, in, uh, in environments that are fully denied or fully disconnected, um, those, those, uh, those devices can stay in the field for well over a year, um, some, some as long as three years. Well, how does that start to bridge the gap then between uh, what you're doing with the snow devices and uh, outposts, which are intended to be That's permanent right. or more permanent infrastructure? And I know they're not identical, but they're, you're starting to get kind of close. It's, you know, and that's intentional in any, uh, we have this continuum of capability uh, from the very uh, far sort of ragged and rugged edge of, of, of where people need to be uh, all the way up through our regions. And along the way, you have devices like or systems like Outpost, which are intended uh, for long term use in, uh, I guess we can refer to as stable uh, data center like environments. Mm -hmm. where Outpost is an extension of the region. So when a customer installs an Outpost, they are essentially installing um, uh, AWS equipment um, that is just like the equipment you'd find in our own data centers that has, that has a permanent connection uh, back to our regions uh, and for all intent and purpose is expected to be connected to that region at all times where you could have you could have link instability for some period of time, like you can in any data center, uh, where there'll be static stability um, during that um, uh, short-term, you know, or intermittent uh, connectivity issue. But it's intended to be there for a long time and be connected uh, to the region all the time. Now, in the case of snow, um, that is you know further out uh, on the edge than you would expect to see most outpost installations. In there, uh, using the the the, uh, the words I used a, a minute ago were expected to be in environments where connectivity to the cloud is denied um, or that it's disrupted often or that it's intermittent or that it's limited. 
So in all of those cases, and they're all very unique depending on you know, the, the, the use case. So in case of denied, um, we do a lot of um, really good work uh, with the DOD. And in the case of DOD, as example, they may have a forward operating base uh, where they will run uh, AWS on uh, clusters of snow devices. And those devices are in fact denied from getting back onto the network intentionally. However, they develop those applications on AWS. So if you're you know, the, the, the contractor or the, the government uh, agency that is building those applications, they're actually building those applications in our secret top secret regions. Um, then they're deploying those applications um, straight on to snow devices and then deploying those snow devices out into the field. There they collect the data, do all of the, the processing and analytics that are necessary for those environments. And if then uh, important, those devices can be uh, unplugged, uh, put on the back of a Jeep, uh, driven back to a plane and where they're brought back, where the data is ingested into those uh, secret top secret regions on behalf of those uh, agencies. And, and so we can actually sit there and have a, a series of these snow devices circling through uh, those environments as necessary, or we can move the data back to AWS straight, straight off of those devices if and when they're connected back to um, those regions. Hmm. So there's a, a whole series of use cases like this. So I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the early days of the snow devices, the, um, the rental or whatever sort of the, the ephemeral usage of, of those was not very expensive, if not nothing. I, I think early on, Amazon was going to monetize that data as it came back in and, and became part of your, your footprint with AWS, right? Um, but if these devices are out longer being used uh, for, for longer stints out, out in the field, have the economics of the way you bill for these changed or, or been modified over time? Yeah, and, and it's a really good point. The, the original uh, model that we had was based on renting the device, uh, which we refer to as a job fee, which is a, a fairly modest fee. And for that fee, you would hold a device for some number of days, called five or 10 days. And then for anything over that five or 10 days, there would be a day-by-day -day, uh, charge until the device made it back. Um, and that worked out really well for customers. When we started transforming the business from a purely data transfer business to an edge compute business, as I described a couple minutes ago, um, we actually evolved the pricing to be more um, uh, uh, cost considered for customers so that they didn't pay this daily uh, additional fee, but instead uh, would pay based on the capacity of the device uh, for what they needed for their application. So look at it in some ways, um, much like EC2, you would rent an instance of a certain capacity, number of uh, cores or, or vCPUs, an amount of memory and so on. And you would pay by the day by the period, um, in the case of EC2, it's seconds and minutes. In the case of Snow, it's days, uh, just based on logistics. And you would pay for those capabilities on a day-by-day -day basis. And it turns out that um, the pricing we put in place is incredibly um, amenable to customers and very competitive What what they could do by buying hardware themselves and having that permanently uh, on-prem or in their environment uh, on an ongoing basis. 
Okay, well, that's interesting, and it makes sense. So for the hard drives and now the SSDs that you have in the small units, snow cone, snowball, um, I imagine those are your higher volume units, and you've got you know, many of them around and ready to go at any given time. With the edge infrastructure, especially with GPU in it, where things get a little more complex or at least more robust in the infrastructure that you have to deliver, how do you handle that from a supply standpoint to make sure that you've got enough of these around at any given time? Because I suppose customers are willing to accept some degree of weight based on the, um, the business benefit they get from something like this being relatively immediate rather than building their own infrastructure. Uh, but it, it's not weeks, I don't think. So what, what happens, how do you manage that and, and keep the supply so that these things can bounce around whenever they're needed? Well, Brian, one of the things that we're very good at at Amazon is logistics. Um, our, I've heard that. Our, our ability to um, put, if you would, analytics in place that can determine and predict what we're going to need where and when is pretty strong. I mean, one of the, just you know, take a little side, a side trip for a second. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about the devices, and we've seen uh, others in the market um, find this an interesting idea as well based on their products is by putting an e-ink label on the device and having that e-ink label be the shipping label. Um, you know, this was fairly novel and new when we did it. And our ability to have those devices essentially look like packing boxes um, is something that we understood how to do really well uh, when we launched the product originally. And so the notion of us understanding the demand that is going to be generated for a particular device in a particular region is something of an active exercise for us every day, literally every day and many times a day. So we, by and large, understand what our customers are going to want. We can predict what they're going to want. And is that prediction always accurate? It is not. Uh, there are times where, you know, instead of having enough lead time to say, you know, build a few more devices, we will need to shift um, where those devices come from because we have those devices located around the world. Uh, so customers may order a device from, you know, our, our Ohio region, as we, as we talked about earlier in this call, uh, and it may turn out that we decide to vend that from our Virginia region instead. Uh, and so we have, we have these capabilities because at the end of the day, besides being a cloud computing company, we also are a very strong logistics and transportation company. Yeah, I can uh, attest from the many boxes a day that show up on my doorstep that, you know, whether it's toothpaste or uh, snow cones, I, I trust that you can move things. I'm not so worried about that. Um, but, you know, I, I do just wonder as you get into more complexity with, like we keep talking about, with the, the edge infrastructure, with GPUs, and, and how do you continue to innovate there? And as that complexity increases, what does that do to the inventory management, supply chain management, and so on? And I guess while we're on the topic, you know, everyone loves AWS because there are 8 million instances for everything you could possibly want from... Uh, compute to storage, now all these Graviton 3 instances and all the new storage stuff and all the, I mean, you talked about FSx at the beginning, all the files stuff. I mean, there's so much going on, right? How do you filter, though, and predict what customers want in these edge infrastructure devices? Which of those dozens or hundreds of services get, get 
integrated into something like like the edge yeah uh it's a wonderful question and it's part of the business planning that we do every year and we ask ourselves this question every year because the answer always changes now the good news is is that the signal we get from our customers is the most helpful in making these decisions um, we are often opinionated as you know about how things should happen but that opinion is formed by and large uh, from the input we get from our customers with some additional input that we provide saying, you know, we hear this is what you need. This is what we think we heard. Are we right? And then we go off and we uh, either build it uh, or we already have built it and we will you know, launch it and make people happy very quickly. So when it comes to what we land on the edge, we are listening very carefully to those that are building the applications in AWS, what they're using to build those applications and what they need to deploy to the edge, whether that edge is in their own data center with outposts, or whether that is on a snowball uh, sitting in say um, uh, on, a, uh, on an oil barge uh, in the middle of the ocean. Or again, you know, cause we're so, it's such a fun, a fun example is snow cones in space. So they will tell us that they need as example, SageMaker Neo, which is a service that is part of our ML AI set of services. And it allows customers to run models that they developed on AWS at the edge, disconnected from AWS regions. So there's an example of a service that we brought out to our snowballs uh, early on. And you know when we started, snowballs consisted of EC2, S3, EBS, IAM for, 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 uh, for identity, and, and a few others, but that was the, the core of what we had, and that worked for most people. As we move forward, the ability to bring FSx out to that device, the ability to bring IoT streetwise, or to bring sitewise, or you know all of our other IoT capabilities um, to these devices, and in the case of Outpost, to be able to bring RDS and other services that people rely on to build their, their applications to these edge locations is something that we look at every quarter and we engage our customers every day to understand what do they need next? How do we best meet the needs of their problem? Another great example is um, our bringing green grass onto all of these devices. Because hmm. customers have asked us, they say, well, you know, we want to be able to run Lambda functions we use Lambda functions in the region. We, we'd love to use that programming model at the edge. Can we do that? So with Greengrass, we're able to run their Lambda functions or their container, their container applications, containerized applications on outposts or on snow. So this is how we evolve. So I've seen outposts um, up front at, uh, at the summit last uh, December or November, whenever it was at the end of last year, um, you had these new one and two U servers, but um, you know, the very cloudy versions of them, right? Where there's um, fewer ports and slots and everything. Cause it's very prescriptive what you're putting out there, right? It's, it's, you want outposts, this is the one U version, this is how it comes. And, and there may be a couple sizes by now, but um, quite prescriptive though in, in the, the hardware definition. With the Snow devices, same sort of thing. Uh, how much, 
how much flexibility is there in, in that design? Like, as you go through this process, I'm just wondering about what do you have to create from a hardware standpoint, whether it's compute storage, networking, you know, whatever else, GPU, that you have to include in the hardware? How do you account for that in hardware design? Is it similar to what you're doing with Outposts? Are the nodes kind of similar, or is this uh, totally bespoke? Yeah, we, we share common uh, designs, uh, design principles, uh, the actual designs, and in some cases, the physical hardware uh, is shared between Snow, Outpost, and uh, in-region uh, data center hardware. So we, we try very hard to have as few uh, SKUs as any company would, but we only limit that, uh, you know, based on having this analysis of, you know, what do customers really need and can we build one SKU? And in some cases we can, often we can, and you may see uh, a snowball have uh, more uh, memory, more main memory uh, than say uh, an outpost single, uh, single uh, one new server, because it's going to be out in the field longer and having more memory is going to be important as applications continue to grow and scale where uh, the customer may not want to return that snowball. They may want to sit out then they would want their application redeployed uh, onto that snowball, which they can do. So they can, you know, whatever, whatever application they're developing in AWS, as they evolve that application, which we want them to do actively, um, they then can deploy that updated uh, AMI or application or Lambda function to the snow. And by having, you know, more resources on that device, um, it'll be less frequent that they would say, hey, can you ship me the latest device because I need more horsepower? And then we can, we can easily do that because we can actually do that rotation in real time, which we do today. So yeah, we try really hard to have commonality uh, to accelerate um, uh, the rate of change we can bring to customers as they need it. Well, it's interesting to me how well you guys have honed in on this design, though, and, and understand, to, to your point, what customers want. Because when we talk about edge infrastructure, and what I would say, what we're talking about is like high-value edge. So, like, the good stuff, not, not the, you know, some of the more uh, mundane edge use cases. But uh, it depends on who you talk to. If you go talk to Dell or HPE or... Supermicro or Cisco, they're all going to have a little bit different story, a little bit different approach to, to what they want to do to help you meet these goals. And I think for a customer, it could be highly challenging to say, um, you know, this is the answer and then go deploy it in a couple hundred retail stores because you want to run, uh, you know, inferencing with customer behavior or whatever, or self-checkout or any of these popular use cases to find out that maybe you didn't scope it well enough going in and, and not that you're trying to solve that problem with these devices, but I just think it, it, with this edge infrastructure, there's so many questions about what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? And how much horsepower do you need? The customers are just really struggling to figure that out. So that's a really good point. And, and if you have the following mental model, it becomes simpler with, with AWS. Uh, one, the, this is a holistic system that the customers are, are um, uh, designing, architecting, and deploying. So they're not deploying hardware from one company and then software, maybe from a third party, and maybe some of their own software onto this device. And 
You know, it's, I mean, I've been in this space for a long time and a lot of folks that will be listening to this will have too. And when you're coordinating amongst a bunch of vendors and that all has to land on um, some hardware um, that you have purchased, um, these are challenges that you have. Like the, the hardware uh, needs to be maybe oversized so that it has great longevity in the field and so on. With AWS, you're building the application in AWS. It is deployed to an AWS deployment environment, whether that environment is a region, a local zone, an outpost, or a snow. This is a holistic environment. So you're able, for instance, when you deploy uh, onto a snow, you're able to test that application in region uh, on, if you would, a virtual snow. So you know that my application will run on what I have in the field. And if you have gotten to the point where the capabilities that you built uh, exceed the, the device, whether it's an outpost server or, or a, a snow device in the field, those devices are not purchased. They are part of the service that um, uh, you, know, you acquire from AWS, that you essentially rent from AWS. And you can simply say, can you send me the next snowball? Can you send me the one that has more capability? And as I said earlier in our podcast, um, the pricing model that we use is on capability on resources. So all you have to do is say, I need a device with more resources and we will provide that to you. Loading that new app and that new version on there and the way it will, the way it will show up on your doorstep. What are you doing from a visualization or at least a, like a customer awareness notification process to enable them to see, you know, hey, you're edging up on, you know, either it's cores or, or GPU or, or storage. Or, you know, we're going to bounce into one of these things here and, you know, perhaps now's a good time to get that next order. And is there something about that in the dashboard to help customers visualize that? Yeah, in the, in the case of Snow, we've uh, launched a number of, uh, if you would, device and fleet management capabilities, remote management capabilities, including the ability to monitor the devices. Um, so if those devices are in a denied or disconnected environment, that monitoring still happens, but the reporting of that information goes to a local console. Uh, we have a, um, a system product, if you would, called Ops Hub, which you can, can think of it as a disconnected AWS console for the edge. Okay. And uh, that information can be viewed through that Ops Hub console. Um, and all this information is accessible via API. So customers, if they had Snow as part of a larger uh, deployment environment, um, say they're on an oil rig and they have a lot of different things going on and they have one NOC uh, or, or network uh, operations center for that oil rig, they can plumb that uh, maintenance data, uh, that monitoring data into their NOC if they wanted to. So yeah, you can monitor the devices and figure out where you are. Um, and as well, because you're able to develop these applications on AWS and run them if you would on a virtual device, you can have an understanding of the resources that you need to run that application as well. So you can, you can approach it from both sides, from a development and deployment side and from an operation side. So we've talked a lot about the more mainstream Snow offerings, but you also have a uh, effectively a container on a semi truck that can show up and and do like a hundred petabytes or something right in this uh, 
Uh, I'm not sure snowmobile is like quite the right. Did you think about like snow yeti or something a little more grandiose? Because snowmobile is not that big. Listen, one of the Just... hardest things in any product is getting its name right. It's really <laughs> a tough thing. Just ask Corey Quinn; he'll tell you how tough naming is. So tell me about the this monster one. You know, we've we've seen the demo at trade shows before, but you know, what what's going on there? So the product that you're referring to, the service that you're referring to, is snowmobile. And Snowmobile was launched, uh, I'm going to get this slowly wrong, but it's 2017 to 2018. Uh, and uh, that was in response to customers that had, at the time, uh, many petabytes of information, hundreds of petabytes of, of data that they wanted to move from on-prem. Often they were closing down data centers uh, and they wanted oh, to consolidation. Yeah. They wanted, yeah, they wanted to move uh, hundreds of petabytes, uh, multi-petabytes, hundreds of petabytes, um, and in some cases, exabytes of information from where they were uh, to AWS. And so uh, in order to facilitate those customers' needs, we thought, well, we can ship them, you know, hundreds of snowballs. Um, that sounds logistically a little complicated. Uh, or we can ship them one big one. Uh, and if we're going to ship them one big one, how do we get it there? Well, you put a lot of wheels underneath it. And, you know, you secure it uh, and you drive it there. And so that's where the genesis of, of that came from. Now, of course, as we see technology evolve, you know, what could fit into a snowmobile five years ago can now fit into 10 snowballs. So as we, as we keep moving forward, you know, the, the volume of data changes and so too does the uh, capability of these devices. So we're always going to be looking at what's the most effective way of helping customers move that amount of data as quickly as possible. And to that end, um, a few months ago, we announced or launched um, a, a assistive capability or feature for the Snow devices uh, called Device Manager, which allows customers to go up to the console and say, hey, I'm looking to move, pick a number, 10 petabytes of data, and I need to move it in this amount of time. What do I do? And often the answer is, well, you can actually order, you know, this, we'll call it 20 snowballs, and we will deliver two at a time, fill them up. And we will actually see that, you know, those devices are filling up and we will ship two more. And when those devices are full, magically two more devices show up until we know, based on ingesting the data, how much data you have left out there that you want to move. And we will, at that point, stop shipping you snows and by the time you send us the last, you know, one or two or three back, um, your job is done. So the logistics, again, of having to manage that process, we want to make as simple as possible. So whether it's a snowmobile or whether it's a, a cycle of snowball edges or snow cones, um, we're going to help customers do that as, as effectively as possible. Well, I understand the snowballs and the cones, but... Um... The, the semi-truck doesn't show up with like a 200-foot-long Ethernet cord dangling out the side that you drag through the window and plug into your network, right? So logistically, is it racks of gear that get offloaded and put into a data center, or, or how does that mechanically work? So the, 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 uh, the snowmobile uh, rolls up to your facility. And we've done, in, in the case of snowmobile, is, is usually some pre-planning, right? You, it's it's got to have a parking lot. It's got to have a space. It's got to have uh, your proper networking connections and, and proper power connections. But nothing is offloaded from the truck. 
Um, essentially, you take, uh, I'm simplifying for, for the purposes of this conversation, but you take a power cord and you take a networking cord and you connect them to your data center. Ah, oh, it does have a 200 foot long ethernet cable. I was right. Okay. No, you know, I'm not sure about the length. I'm not, yeah, I'd have to really do, do, the, do the math and figure it out. But, um, but yeah, there's a patch cord of sorts uh, that is patched from your, from your data center uh, to the snowmobile uh, for both power and, and, and networking. And then just like a snowball device, uh, you know, you start up the, uh, the transfer agent and the data starts transferring from your data center right into the snowmobile. And does that come, does any of this come with professional services? Because a lot of these engagements that you're describing, especially at scale, would typically have a, a services wrapper if it was, you know, mainstream enterprise IT doing the, the transaction. Yeah, so we, we aim to make this so simple you know, the term we often use is ridiculously simple. And we don't often achieve that, but we work towards that and eventually we get there. Um, that you don't need to bring in um, third parties. That being said, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of planning needs to be put in place to uh, decommission a data center, as example. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times these large data transfer uh, operations are facilitated by you know, a, a vendor of choice by the customer, our own professional services organization, or one of our partners uh, that will come in and plan the entire migration for our customers as part of a, a general migration plan. And in that case, yes, it, it is for all intent and purpose wrapped, but it's not so much that the snowmobile is wrapped, it's that the entire migration is planned and executed because uh, it tends to be an involved exercise. Right, okay. So we've we've got the big scale, and we've talked about the ISS a couple times with the smallest scale device. Um, we actually did a podcast with one of the scientists back number seventy seven on Spaceborne Two, their supercomputer up there. And I was just at HP's event last week, and you know they're behind that, and they've got a little pod set up with the uh, the the space station all set up the way it is for real, so you can walk in and kind of see. Oh, that's kind of strange looking. Imagine running a data center in, in space. There's some challenges there. Um, but the work they're doing up there with all the imaging and deep space learning and, and stuff is, is pretty cool. Um, what is the role of your device that, that's gone up there? I've seen the video, we posted it on, on our own socials of unpacking and looking at, here it is, strapping it under a little uh, uh, elastic cord, plugging it in, and it looks like that was the extent of it and off and running it is. Uh, but tell us more about what that's doing up there and, and the kind of work that, that's being enabled. Yeah, so the, the application that Axiom uh, and, uh, and uh, others wanted to be able to run and experiment with, with this, uh, um, this launch and this mission was the ability to um, collect photographs being taken on the station and run those photographs, so data collection, number one, uh, data processing, and run those photographs through uh, an ML model uh, and to be able to do the analytics in real time on the station without having to move that volume of data back to Earth to do the analysis back on Earth and then you know, report those findings back up to the space station so that they could re-aim the camera, retake the photographs, whatever the case may be. So in this particular case, it was a perfect use case 
for AWS's edge products in this particular case, Snowcone, where they were able to take those photographs, run ML, get the results in real time on the station, uh, make local decisions without having to uh, you know, engage with, with uh, mission control in any way and continue to do that and demonstrate that they could run an off-the-shelf ruggedized edge device like Snowcone on the station and do the job that they needed to do. And given that the applications were developed in AWS, those applications were deployed onto the device when it was delivered. And in fact, while the device was in orbit, we actually updated the device fully um, and, and, and changed the operating software um, and enabled them to do even more than they started to do uh, when they first got the device uh, during that mission. So it was a good example of, of truly deploying the cloud. Well, yeah, but the device is so small, right? So what, what was shipped up there in terms of capacity or capabilities? Like what, what exactly did they get or, or as close to it as you recall? So it's, it was a standard device. Um, one, okay. one of the things that we wanted to prove out is that uh, what we provided them didn't need special cooling, special insulation, special shock vibration capability. It literally, the device you saw in that picture, other than being wrapped with you know, the special space tape, which I, forgive me for not knowing what the name of the tape is. Yeah, the orange tape though, we, all, it, we can all picture it. Yes, exactly. Um, other than it being encased in the tape for various, you know, just space reasons, that's smart. Um, the device was a, a stock device, and it went through a couple of months of testing to prove that it would it could deal with the shock of launch, uh, to prove that it could deal with the the environmentals of space. But we made no modifications. So when it went up there, it, when you go on our website and you look at a snow cone uh, uh, SSD device, fourteen terabytes of, of of SSD, you know, four four V cores. Uh, and eight gigs of memory um, in 100, you know, 100 uh, gigabit Ethernet uh, networking capability. That's the device they got. And what they ran on it was this ability. It's, a, it's an application that performed the uh, ML uh, AI analytics on the, on the photographs. And that's what they had. So this device was shipped up as is with tape. Uh, and then, you know, the application they had written to do these analytics was run in the space station straight away. It required no, it required no IT administrator uh, or, uh, or sophisticated user to get it up and running. No, it was simple. I, I saw that with my own eyes. So that, that was, uh, that was pretty cool. The storage inside, uh, would you say 14 terabytes of flash in that particular? 14 terabytes of, uh, of SSD, yeah. So when you're, I'm sort of torn on how to ask this. So, so when you're dealing with the snow devices, they're not the primary storage resource typically, and that there may be some exceptions now. They're normally a copy of something that exists, right? So as you transport it, if it were to be lost or destroyed by some accident, it's not catastrophic. So you have to go back and redo the work and move things. And it's annoying, I would think in most cases, how much do you worry about resiliency? So like in that, in that uh, 14 terabytes, is that four drives that are rated together for a little more data resiliency? So we, we're, we're not gonna get past the, the lost or destroyed. We can't do anything about that. But the data protection itself, as it moves around, 
How much do you worry about that? Well, you know, um, a couple of things there. One, the data is protected. Uh, so it is, it's rate protected. So that's, that's the first thing, you know, and to start off at the very beginning of the chain, um, something we I want to make sure we always emphasize is that these devices are built such that they can be lost um, and you never have to worry about the security of your data. You know, the, all of the software that is loaded onto the device is, is encrypted and signed. Um, at, at boot time, uh, these devices are protected so that any software that's being loaded into the device is uh, checked to be sure that it is the software that you sent up. It is, its signature is checked and it's, it's decrypted when it's brought into memory. And, you know, it's tamper resistant so that if anybody tries to tamper with the device and open it up, uh, we know automatically that that's happened and um, you end up in a situation where the data is um, crypto shredded so that you never have to worry about, you know, your these devices getting lost and you're losing the data. I, I can already see the IT guy blowing up his own data because he's just so curious to tear that box open to see what's inside. Uh, this might have happened. Uh, I cannot tell you uh, whether it has or has not. I'm certain it's happened because I know that's what would happen here. We, we get it in and... And uh, Kevin would start taking it apart uh, after data was on there. Ah, oh, gosh. All right. Anyway, so, so security obviously is important. It's so important. Um, but it, so once you get past the security piece and the data is protected, you, you use the word RAID, so we'll stick with that. It's a fine word to use in this case, is RAID protected. Uh, and in the case of a snow cone, um, uh, because that's what they used on the, on the, on the space station, Customers do have the ability to move the data off of the snow cone into region uh, using uh, a service that runs on top of the snow called AWS DataSync. And so DataSync can be used to transfer any data that's on that device to AWS. If you decide you don't want to send the device back because it's in an active uh, application uh, collecting data and analyzing that data. So that's one way of getting the data off the device. The other way is sending the device back to us. And if for some, you know, uh, unforeseen reason, the device is damaged or destroyed, then yes, you're right. The, the data that is on the device would no longer be accessible if it were not moved into region or copied off some other way before that happened. So in the case of the ISS, is the the cone that's up there, is it back? Is it, how long did it spend up there if it is home? It's still, it's still uh, above us. Um, okay. And it, it, because uh, of the success that we had in the mission, uh, it was deemed um, a good idea to leave it there for future use. Well, given you guys are charging by the day that that thing's checked out of the library, that should be, you know, it should make the quarter if that thing just floats around for the next couple of years. You know, this is a, this is a great partnership between us and Axiom. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, everybody's happy with where we are. I'm sure they are too. Uh, all right. Well, this is great. I, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. For anyone that wants to learn more about snow, where, where should they go to, to get that done? Well, I would welcome them to uh, go to our webpage and uh, look up snow, snow family of products. And if you're interested in the snow cone, click on that snowball, click on that. And um, you can also, if you have an account, go to our console, go to our snow console and order one. And if we order one, a snow cone, snowball. How how soon would that would that get to you if you're really anxious and want to get going? Well, usually we tell you on the page what the SLA is given uh, everything we talked about earlier, uh, but you could expect to receive that within a week. 
Okay, well, that's pretty quick. So there you go. We'll put a link to the, the snow products in the description. So anyone that wants to check that out, we'll have that for you. And uh, Wayne, this is great. I appreciate you taking the time. It was a lot of fun uh, to talk about the products and it's a lot of fun to talk about what the teams do and, and it makes me really proud of them. So thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, have a good day.